0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality
1: Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God.
1: This is
2: Not Church with John and Nat Turney.
0: All right, all right, all right. Let's kick the tires and light the fires, big daddy. (laughs) You just, <laughs> you've been waiting too long for me to call you Big Daddy, and I'm not sure wh- what to even say about that, John. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I have never wanted, never wanted that. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Welcome. It's good to see you, man. It's good to see you, too. It's good to be seen. It is. It's it's it's, I'm, I'm glad that you get to see me and that you have the privilege of gazing upon my visage. That's right. I use the word mm-hmm. visage. visage. I'm a writer, John. This is what I do. Or is it Visage.
1: In the, French would,
0: in the French, it would be visage. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking now. And well, I'm not going to stop talking. I'll just stop talking like a dummy and move on to different things. Hey, this is the podcast, by the way. Uh, we call it This Is Not Church because if it was church, you would have left by now. And uh, John and I would be with you on the way out the door. But again, I don't like to... I would be remiss if I did not tell you that before you leave, put a little something in the offering plate. Help support the ministry, so you can you know garner your blessing from God. So, Absolutely. Go. <laughs> uh, we are joined today by another awesome guest. So I will introduce him uh, briefly, and then we'll just man, we'll jump in and see what what happens and, and where the road takes us. But we are joined today by Roger Wolsey. He is a spiritual director, a United Methodist pastor, and a blogger, The Holy Kiss on Pathos, and he's the author of Kissing Fish: Christianity for People Who Don't Like Christianity. Uh, which turns out it's kind of a lot of people. And also his new book, Discovering Fire, Spiritual Practices That Transform Lives. He's an advocate of progressive and contemplative Christianity and is the admin for the Kissing Fish book Facebook page. He's the father of a grown son and enjoys yoga, playing the trumpet, hopefully at the same time, <laughs> trail running and, contem- and contemplative photography and poetry. I would also throw in probably some contemplative trumpet playing as well. Hey, who knows? Welcome back to the podcast, man. How's it going, Roger?
2: I'm doing really well tonight. It's so good to be with y'all,
0: man. It's good to be with you. You are nestled up there in Boulder, Colorado. One of my favorite. I love Boulder, Colorado, by the way. What a cool town! There's a there's a there's lots of good food and lots of good beer, and the people are chill, man.
2: Well, I lived here for 14 years and uh, raised my my son here. He's had a great experience growing up here, and he appreciates it more now that he's been in college for four years in Iowa. He appreciates Boulder so much more than he did living here as a kid. Amen. Yes, and now, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'll date myself a tiny bit and tell you that I was always sort of enamored of Boulder because I grew up watching Mork and Mindy. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, Boulder must just be a, an amazing place because that's where Mork lives. And so <laughs> uh, the first the first time uh, my wife and I visited, we're, we had to go find the Mork and Mindy house, of course. Right. And yeah, we're like, yeah. oh my God, there it is. It's the Mork and Mindy house. And then there was no one else there. We were the only ones. So um, but there's, <laughs> there's my wife and I are both big like craft beer nerds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Boulder and uh, between Fort Collins and Longmire, Longmont and Boulder and, Man, there's just more craft and you can shake a stick at. We were like in craft beer heaven, man. So mm-hmm. Avery Brewing in Boulder is one of my favorite places on planet Earth, man. Beer is good, the yeah. food is great. So, anyway, I'm jealous that you're there and I'm here in the uh, in the on the ass end of Texas, wondering how the <laughs> hell it's summer already and it's only April. What the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, talk to us a little bit before we jump into the new book. Um, people might remember. Your first book? Oh, I'm not sure it was your first book. I know it was your breakout book for sure. Kissing Fish was, I kind of blew up. Was a big deal. Talk to us about that, and then we'll we'll see where that takes us.
2: Yeah. So, Kissing Fish, uh, I wrote it over three years. Um, the first two years mostly just in the summers. Uh, I was doing campus ministry at the University of Colorado. And the third year, I pretty much wrote every day. And I wrote most of that book at the IHOP, the International House of Pancakes, in Boulder, <laughs> which is one of the least Boulder-like places in Boulder to kind of help me remember my Midwestern down-to-earth roots. And it was uh, lots of free coffee coming at me, you know, not free, but lots of coffee. And that book came out of a need. Uh, I had been a pastor before doing campus ministry, doing confirmation classes, and a lot of kids, not sure they really want to be confirmed in this phase And uh, i I'm kind of learning why and what the, the hesitancy was and naming the issues. And those issues are are for real. You know, um, the Barna, Barna Institute did a study of quite a few years back now, about 15 years, 20 years back. Five things young people associate with When they hear the word Christianity. It's anti-gay, anti-women, anti-science, exclusivistic, and uh, judgmental. Like If if that's what you think of when you hear the word Christian, well, why would you want to be a part of that? And it makes a, a lot of people hesitant to say they're Christian. A lot of people love Jesus, but they don't want to be associated with the kind of Christianity that has become effectively the mainstream variety, which tends to be those judgmental ways. And so writing a book to I mean, Marcus Borg and John Shelby Spong and others had been doing work way before me, but there weren't any Gen X expressions. So I felt, you know what, it's time for a Gen Xer to to get this word out. And uh, not too long after my book came out, uh, Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, came out and sort of different sides of the thing. He, he's more out of the evangelical lineage, and I'm more out of that mainline liberal lineage. But by the time I left seminary in 1996, there was an obvious transition going on, and this new movement of progressive Christianity evolving out of liberal Christianity was happening to the point where, oh, it's, this is a different creature. It does things a bit differently. Let's help people understand this and get the word out. So that's that first book has done some some good. And, you know, I, I don't have any agenda for people to say they're a Christian or to join churches. If they happen to do so, cool. I mean, God's at work in so many ways. That's one of them, particularly in the healthy kind of churches. But it, it is refreshing every once in a while to hear people say that, well, I didn't know I could be a Christian. There's, there's this new way I didn't know about. And I humbly have to say it's not so new, but I'm glad you're hearing about it,
0: and yeah, it's well, it's interesting because uh, because right around that same time, you know, like Brian McLaren was writing books, right? And Brian McLaren, I, I I credit him. We had him on the podcast once, and I got to tell him, I love having people on. I can tell, man you you salvaged that for me. Like you, you, you gave me a way to say, okay, I can still be a part of this and not be this thing over here that I cannot stand. Yeah. Like this thing that I can't possibly, like in good conscience, be aligned with. And so for, for guys like you and for Brian and for Shelby Spong and for Marcus Borg in particular, I mean, the, there's a whole cadre of, of people who have come along at some point and given us tools to say, okay, I can still be part of this without being a part of that. Yep. For whatever good that did, thank you for that. That, that's a, that's an important work. So when, when Rob Bell came out, I was actually a, a youth pastor at one point in my, in my life. Rob Bell was fairly well embraced by the evangelical mainstream. Like he was the hip new guy. Like he was like his, we were showing his NUMA videos and youth group. And, but man, he just, uh, they just labeled him a hair taking about two seconds when he dared to suggest that God might <laughs> not torture people in hell forever. I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, where did this guy come from? He's not a real Christian. <laughs> he doesn't believe God's an asshole. So.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I got my own licks. Um, the book came out in 2011. In the fall of 2018, seven conservative United Methodist clergy from East Texas filed heresy charges against me with my bishop, accusing me of uh, disseminating teachings contrary to established Christian tradition. Wow. And the the six-page accusation, double-sided, quoting from my book and blogs and things. And it was not a fun experience. Ultimately, the charges were dismissed. By the by, the bishop in Minnesota. But I, I can't at, at this point. I can now say that yeah, I too am, am a victim of organized religion. I too have experienced the church not at its best, and there are days that I like. I I wonder, do I really want more? And and I kind of have a little bit of that wariness as this as the new book comes out because some people will accept my, some of my theology, but might will they be okay with some of the things I'm suggesting as practices? Uh, as possibilities in the new book, so that I have my own nervousness still i guess yeah
0: yeah okay well let's let 's talk about this heretical new book then let 's talk about it so, <laughs> what is the, what what's the, what is the premise of uh, discovering Fire?
2: well, the premise is that God is at work not just in the church but all over and in many ways and many means. The hope is to reduce some of the allergy within organized religion about people who are spiritual but not religious and the things they're up to, Mm. and reduce some of the wariness that people in spiritual but not religious have about organized religion, in particular Christianity, at least as it goes as far as some of the established spiritual practices within the faith that can be life-giving. And hopefully, everyone can realize spirit is at work in all of this, and that we Mm. can learn from each other. Yeah, I'm not saying Christians have to be doing yoga and grounding with their feet bare in, in nature, or or doing ayahuasca or psilocybin or things of this, or static dance. And I'm not saying people that are spiritual, not religious, have to be engaged in fasting or walking labyrinths or doing lectio divina or centering prayer. I mean, but I'm sharing how these practices have been a part of my journey, my healing, and giving specifics about how they've been part of my healing and helping people. See a, a, a one authentic life trying his best to let spirit work and share sort of how the journey's been going, sort of a, a ro- road trips with with God in these various practices.
0: That's that's interesting, I, I, uh, I I'm not a mainline denominational guy at all, but I spent quite a bit of time in the Walk to Emmaus movement, which is oh, yeah. a, a United Methodist thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it was there. In that expression of more liturgical sort of church practices that I I found some utility in that. I didn't at first. I bucked it at first because my non-denominational sort of charismatic bent leads me to think that anything, all things that are spontaneous are authentic and all things that are repeated are just rote and boring. And I'm like, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> you know, but that was our, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 if I read a prayer from a prayer book Ugh, that's just, ugh. but if I just sort of spontaneously utter a bunch of gibberish, suddenly that's, <laughs> you know, so God did a lot of work on me in that in exposing some of my own biases in that and go, man, you're kind of a religious bigot. You think you've got the market cornered on authenticity. And I found inside of the United Methodist Church in particular, man, probably the only mainline denomination that I could ever possibly be affiliated with. I can't still, but I, I could get close. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain expressions of the Presbyterian Church that I could probably get on board with. But that being said, the kinds of practices that we see inside of those kinds of churches, is there an overlap, do you see, with some of these other practices that are outside of the church? Is there an an overlap in their intention, or at least their purpose, would you say?
2: Well, absolutely. Uh, People usually are wounded by other people, and we... Yeah heal somewhat on our own, but we heal more in community and relationship with others. And so if there are containers that, that can help people be high-minded, open-hearted, begin to, lo- to lose some mask-wearing and superficiality and be real and yeah. allow others to be real and share the, the sacredness of that, well, that, that's holy ground. That, that's where healing actually does happen. And at their best, all these practices lend themselves to that. Yeah, uh, I know. I know some churches that have been maybe not knowing that they're necessarily doing this with a, a agenda, but there's some churches that have things like Nature Church or their Church of the Wild, where they're doing worship outdoors and never in a building, and just. Meeting some people where they're at on hiking trails and uh, simple being with being present in nature. Uh, some churches are doing that, and if it's done well, it, it's there's no bulldozer agenda. Now that you're here, we're gonna have you come to the altar and get baptized or whatever. It's if it's done well, you meet people where they're at and relationships build and let just let spirit run its course. Uh, of course, I'm biased in the favor of low key. And, uh, non-agenda.
0: Yeah. I was just curious because I I know a lot of those, like, for example, for example, even the Eucharist, which for 45 years of my evangelical upbringing would never use that word. That's just too Catholic a word. Why would you say that? Um, we had the Lord's Supper, man, where we did. But anyway, but I found in, in a more contemplative approach to the Eucharist, I found something that I might even you know, say overlap with a kind of yoga practice. You know, where you're looking at like, like how am I going to commune with divinity in this way, um, or open myself up to an experience with divinity in this way through this, I would call symbolic act. I don't. I'm not Catholic, so I don't believe in transubstantiation. So I believe it's a symbolic act. But it always struck me as a little strange that charismatics were really open to spiritual experiences on one side, but then on, as long as it was within the confines of, of how they defined it and the second you stepped out of that well now you're going to go do take a yoga class and open yourself up to demonic oppression or something it was always very very hard line is there freedom do you think for for people to kind of explore more
2: of that if they would i think these days whether whether churches uh, are allowing it or not people are doing it yeah, uh, i for think sure. right. even in the most conservative churches i would i would hazard a bet most of the folks drink beer on Friday and Saturday night. Most of the folks, not most, but many, many of the folks will be doing yoga once a week. Many of the folks will have kids or grandkids who are doing tarot cards and and uh, looking at astrology, preferring to be in nature than in church. If If nothing else, the people in the church, their kids and grandkids are doing this. And I think if they're being honest, some of the folks are doing some of this kind of thing and won't talk about it. Well, I'm giving people right. permission. Saying, let's, let's talk about it. We're doing it. There's something here. Let's let's talk about
0: it. No, I think it's, I think it's awesome. You, you mentioned some practices that are in your book that, that might be controversial. Are those the kinds of practices that you're talking about? Things like yoga or were there others?
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends, it depends on the, the kind of Christian or, or traditional. <laughs> some sure. people would have an sure. issue with yoga. The, the mainline Protestant's, Having yoga in in church buildings is not rare. That's that's not too out there at this point. But some of the things about tarot cards or astrology or looking at shadow work, that might be a little bit for some people's edge. Some people are maybe open to the Enneagram, but not not quite so open to the shadow work that's involved in, in, that's also part of growing with that, that tool. Everybody's at different places probably. Mr. Rogers, he, he was a Presbyterian pastor, and that TV show was his ministry, and and he had something beautiful that he said, I'm going to kind of say it in my own words, but he basically said, anything that's human, uh, we can talk about. And anything we can talk about, we can manage. So uh, I'm running with that mindset and naming some things and trying to invite us to talk about things. This is human. This is within our family. This is within society. Let's talk about it.
1: Well, I, I find it inter- interesting that you bring up psilocybin as one of the things that, yeah, that, we've that can keeps use. coming up. And, and, and honestly, it does. We just, we just had an interview with uh, another person who, the pod, you know, that, that episode will come up soon and psilocybin came up in that episode as well. Is it something that you feel, uh, maybe was connected spiritually or religiously that we have kind of lost connection with? Or is psilocybin a way to connect with the divine in a way
2: that we've always been meant to connect? Good questions. Uh, (laughs) I think people can live a full, beautiful, authentic human life that has wholeness and meaning without ever doing any psychedelics at all. Uh, And I think people can have a life filled with those things uh, and maybe somehow be off because of how they're doing it or who they're doing it with or not doing the integration that's really needed and sort of having peak experiences but no integration to allow for life change. So right. both sides can miss it. But psilocybin especially, it's global. It's You know, the magic mushrooms, it is pretty global. There's lots of strains and it's there's not much expense ayahuasca there's more expense usually and it's more involved but psilocybin so i mean if you in chapter six which is probably the chapter many people will end up buying the book for pray, praying with plants um <laughs> i share an awful lot of uh, scientific studies john hopkins university in various places showing how these psychedelics are helping people with ptsd depression yeah um, yep. in s- just so many profound ways i mean it, it's like there's no disputing this, this evidence. This research shows that, wow, for a lot of people, doing this is better than other more conventional treatments, including anti-depression-resistant depression, you know, the, the medicines. This stuff, for many people, is a game changer. So I would say salvation has been unfairly reduced by American Christianity, meaning evangelical Christianity, to be where you go when you die. That's salvation. Right, yeah. And believe the right thing so you go there when you die, go to heaven. Yep. But what it's in, in the Jewish understanding, and Jesus was a Jew, it's, it's the here and now, just as much as whatever happens later. And it's not just personal, it's collective. It's, it's the whole of being. And salvation ultimately, I think, means wholeness, well-being, liberation. And so if you think of those things, well, that's what we're yearning for. That's what we need. Believing certain things about Jesus, in and of itself, eh, I don't think it does that. You can believe those things and not have your transformation, your healing. But these practices, yeah, this creates more favorable conditions for a person to do their work and see their shadow and, and grow and heal. Yeah. For me, salvation, of it, course, it's a Methodist perspective of synergistic. You know, it's we do our part, we co-create our well-being, and of course, the Apostle yeah. Paul said you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, so we have our part to play. Yeah. Right. Which,
0: of course, in my evangelical upbringing meant um, work for your own salvation, not work at it, not work it out, but work for it. And so we're like, oh, it's all by grace, but you got to work for it. Paul said you got to work it out. But yeah, I mean, that that Greek word for salvation is sozo, right? Yeah. Which it has that whole implication of wholeness and healing and nothing missing, nothing broken. Yeah, I, I, I think it, Guys like Richard Rohr for me were instrumental in in and even N.T. Wright to some to some extent was you know I think at the I remember reading um, Surprised by Hope I think is what anyway there was a book he wrote that was pretty much in, about eschatology and pretty much pitching like like just digging on all the, the whole evangelical notion of what happens when we die and what heaven and hell are and for that matter what the rapture is or isn't and um, I was like forty years old before I realized that the vast majority of churches that aren't evangelical you know, American churches, the rapture is not part of their theology at all, even a tiny bit. they laugh at the rest of us. And I'm like, (laughs) because for us, it was the gospel damn truth. Like, we all know this is happening. God's, you know, we had the thief in the night movie. We were reading Left Behind. We knew what was happening. You know, no one's going to take the mark of the beast, damn it. But it was Methodists who actually kind of pulled me out of that. I'm like, oh my gosh. The, the, I, in my opinion, and, and I'm so sad for what's going on inside the Methodist church right now, because the Methodist church in, in particular gave me a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Solace, maybe. I mean, they, they, they were ordaining women. They were, they were, all the things that my evangelical upbringing said was wrong. They were like, hey, there's millions of people who live out their faith in this expression, and they're doing this. They, they can't be all bad. But what the hell is going on with the Methodist Church, man?
2: Yeah, well, in a in a way, I mean, it's tragic. It's like a divorce. Effectively, by this time next year, some ten percent ish of the United Methodist churches in the u s will have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church. And most of them are joining a new denomination called the Global Methodist Church, which is more conservative and more doctrinal and dogmatic and rule-oriented, legalistic. But the, the United Methodist Church, in some respects, will be better off because we'll be positioned, like several other mainline churches have already done, to be much more relevant to culture, more gay-friendly, uh, LGBT, welcoming, inclusive it it's it allows for something that's been needing to happen and, and we've been held back by this. Now the United Method, Methodists over the years have broken up and reconnected, broken up and reconnected several times. And my hunch is this, this more homophobic, transphobic, anxious, legalistic mindset, I think it's got a shelf life. I, I think it, at most it's got fifteen years and it's gonna age out. And I've seen some studies that suggest between 30 to 40% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. Well, 40% is high. 30% is still pretty significant. You know, Gen Xers, it's more like, you know, 15% or something. So there's been a profound increase. Any church that is not adjusting and course correcting, frankly, is writing their own not pleasant future. So my hope is there's going to be a reconnecting. That's my prediction at some point.
0: Yeah, I, just, I got a I got a text message from a friend today that I need to respond to. But um and she's a former parishioner of mine, and also raised, and her whole life was Methodist. But her church is voting tonight on whether to disaffiliate, and my my hunch is they will, because that's the part of Texas we live in. And uh, she's just broken hearted about it, you know. But this issue is not going away, and that's the thing that I think that the the UMC and every other church denomination is having to reckon with. Like, if you think this issue is just going to slink back away into the darkness, yeah, you're wrong. It's not yeah. going anywhere. And I'm with you, man. Either we're going to get on board and find a way to welcome and love and accept and champion for these people, or we're going to cease to be relevant, you know? Yeah. I joked with John about, um <laughs> I went to my first drag show this week. I'm 50, I'm 51, man. All and, right. Uh, and I got invited to a, a Selena. We're in West Texas, man. Selena is a goddess; she is revered. It goes like, you know, Holy, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Virgin Mary, and then Selena is like right there, man. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not. You think I'm joking? I'm not even being flippant. Like that's the that's the level of deity we're talking about, right? Hmm. And. uh, so they had this uh, Selena tribute drag show and our friends were like, hey, I got tickets, we're going to go. I'm like, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. I had a profoundly religious experience at this thing. And, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not being flippant at all. I had a profoundly religious experience. And the religious experience I had was being in a room full of people who were not just allowed to express themselves, who were not just allowed to exist, but who were celebrated mm. and who were championed and who were entertained and entertaining. And I, I did walk away. I'm, I'm, I'm literally tearing up thinking about it right now going, I went to this show that was for all intents and purposes, just a goofy, people just having fun. But how often do these people get that kind of attention and get celebrated for what they do and who they are? And the cross section mm-hmm. of people that were there was super impressive. I'll never forget the group of crusty old cowboys in one corner who looked to be about 60, 65, with their cowboy hats on and their dollar bills out, man, and they were they were having a blast. And I'm like, good for you. I have hope for people that this cross section of humanity can come enjoy this entertainment. And I don't know. I just I, I think everyone needs to experience that at least once in their life.
1: That's beautiful. What a beautiful thing to hear.
0: Yeah, I
1: I was touched. I'm still touched thinking about it. Go ahead, John. We're, I was just going to say we're on the tail end of this uh, Budweiser. And in huge air quotes, conspiracy, right? Oh, and they're caving, John. Do you see that shit? Oh, are they well, actually? Well, I mean, it's it's babies. It's it's astounding, and 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 I don't I don't feel bad saying this. I, it's astounding at the stupidity of these people who are showing these videos on TikTok and YouTube or whatever of them buying cases and cases of Budweiser just to destroy because right, this one person that Budweiser has chose to acknowledge as a transgender hero, which, and I didn't understand this until recently. My understanding now is that Budweiser made a specific can for her. It wasn't like anything like, it wasn't massive. Well, they didn't, it just, was, but they didn't just put a
0: rainbow on their can though. They, I mean, this was a, this was a cross promotion, right?
1: When, right right yeah. but it was very in all intents and purposes it was fairly small compared to what you know the amount of budweiser that goes out to the world or the, at least this country and so we got these videos of them holding up a a budweiser that they destroy and they're drinking the coors which by the way has been lgbtqia uh, mm. affirming for years Friendly. for a while <laughs> for years but they're destroying the can they already bought And that's not even to say that Budweiser is doing this for a reason. And for anyone who doesn't acknowledge that, they're they're ignorant. Budweiser understands where stuff is going, where we are going in this country. And it's to their best interest to move with it, right? And I acknowledge that, I applaud that, but at the same time, it's capitalism at its best. They know where they need to go, but they also know where they need to move away from and that's Billy Bob, whatever living in whatever. Hey, my best friend's Billy Bob, be nice. Okay, <laughs> they are no. They are no longer. They are no longer their best interest. Disassociating with those racist bigots, piece of shit, is in their best interest.
2: Well put. Yeah.
1: And so to move on to the the LGBTQIA plus community. And, and to move into a a place where we understand that we don't, we don't tolerate bigots. We don't, we don't tolerate racists. We don't tolerate any of this. Budweiser, Coors, there's just a couple of the people, a couple of the organizations that have just, they're part of this move towards a better understanding
2: of humanity, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's so, it's happening. It's a culture. I mean, conservatives call it a culture war, but it's societal growth and evolution and, and frankly progress uh, right. Over overall, we have grown in humanity, embracing more rights, helping more people to be who God created them to be, and people who are quashing people, not letting them be their full, beautiful selves. That's definitely a souring, you know I think there's a general consensus that, yeah, we can't get away with. Uh, oppressing people like we used to. And and in fact, maybe there's something to be said for celebrating people. Uh, and as more people get to know some neighbor, some grandkids, some niece, some coworker, who is out in some way, oh, well I know that person, That they aren't so bad. And it's those gradual, as more people feel safe coming out, more people will do that. I, I think th- there's some backlash that we're experiencing, yes, but it's only happening because so much progress is actually happening.
0: Well, my hope is that, you know, John, John and I are, you know, parents and our kids are all, you know, mostly grown. John's youngest is what, just turned 18. Yeah. I have, my youngest is 23. Um, this is not an issue for them. Right. They don't give two shits about this. They don't, it doesn't even cross their mind. And it never has. And, and partly, you know, I'll take some credit for that because we never preached against it. We were, we didn't raise them to dislike people. But we we weren't as open as affirming as we are now. But that's just a I'm hoping, just a function of age and wisdom and experience and some humility. But man, I tell you what, my hope is that and I know it feels like we're regressing in some in some ways, but my hope is that the overall trajectory of this is still leading us to a better place where we'll look at this kind of issue of maybe same sex marriage like we do interracial marriage now and go, why was this why is this even an issue I, and yet there are places in this country where even that is still a problem and if you don't believe it talk to some interracial couples and find out their experiences and i had friends who were stationed in georgia at one time they were like holy shit like that was the part of georgia they were in was yeah was not what they were expecting but my hope is that we'll get to a place where you know our kids will look at us and go what what the hell were you even thinking you know why was this ever even an issue that we discussed or debated or so i do have some hope i am a little I feel like we, like we're in a time right now where we're, we're 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 backpedaling a little bit, but I don't think the overall arch of this is going to be impeded. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, and, and in fact, part of why I wrote this new book is to help, uh, at least on one side of this uh, divide, churches, pastors, parents, to have some tools to get some familiarity. So here's a United Methodist Christian pastor sharing the backstory. The backstory on tarot cards or uh, static dance or uh, psilocybin. What's the backstory? Why are people doing it? What's the draw? And learning some words and hearing someone who, oh, well, okay, there's a pastor talking about this. I think, while I might seem like an outlier right now, in a few years we 're going to see a whole lot more folks talking about it, and my hope is this book is one of the tools that helps people to begin having the needed conversations and and realize oh i, I it 's not like it 's us them, and, and we, i don 't understand them no, there's some tools we can learn let 's figure this out let's let 's learn from each other so uh, my hope is that we can keep getting the word out, getting more people more comfortable, just like you were saying in that in that drag show. Two years ago, some of the people there might never have guessed they would have been in such a place.
0: Absolutely. And matter of fact, I can tell you, (laughs) I ran into a lot of people I know who two years prior would not have been there. So I know there's growth. You know what I mean? I ran into people. I'm like, we went to church together. We would have never, first of all, and we wouldn't, we sure as hell wouldn't have posted about it on Facebook, which we all did happily. Like, hey, we're at the drag show. Come at me, bitch. I don't even care. <laughs> so, and we were, but two years ago, you know, two or three years ago, when I was on staff at a church, I would not have done that. Because I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't have gone because I might have gone. I certainly would not have broadcast because there would have been backlash and I would have had a professional issue, which is one of the reasons why I left that church at, in, in the first place. Because I just like, I'm not going to be in a place where I cannot authentically support the people I love and want to support without having to justify it. To a board or something and be like, that's just silly, you know? But yeah, I mean, I'm, t- I'm telling you, Ed, this has been now, it's happened on Friday, we're now Monday. And as I think about that experience, I I, I still, it, it was profound to me. And I'm not sure the people there that even realize how profound that was for a guy like me to go, well, okay, this is, and I as, and I, and I think I, I told something. I'm like, this is the least, this is literally the least that I can do as an ally. If I want to call myself an ally. One thing I can do is support things like this with my money and with my time. And I can say, Hey, I will. This is a community I can support by going to their events and, and, you know, cheering and clapping and holding up dollar bills, you know, whatever we do. So could I do more? Yeah. But that's the, that, that, that's like the entry point, right? <laughs> just, just show up and be supportive.
2: It'll be really interesting in in two or three years to c- compare notes and see what shift is, has happened in those two or three years. It'll be really curious.
0: Yeah, it might be energetic show.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, you never know.
1: That beard yeah. be different.
0: <laughs> Trust me, my wife will tell you. No, nah, I don't have the likes for it. I just you gotta have a gotta have you gotta have a certain look. But um, but it, there is another United Methodist, fairly well known Facebook, you know, social media personality. His name is Morgan. G-U-Y-T-O-N is his Oh, yeah, name. Morgan.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know Morgan, yeah. How, how
0: do you say his last name? Guyton. Uh, Guyton, Guyton, yeah. Guyton. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would have said Guyton. So Yeah, and,
2: we, uh, we met each other a few times,
0: yeah. He, he's a good dude. Actually, he got me in trouble because I... <laughs> this is the this is the level of lunacy we're talking about, dude. <laughs> I, I posted something, I reposted something on Facebook that he'd said, uh, and this was years ago. This was five years ago, probably, and it was something to the effect of, it's ironic that we put in God we trust on the God in whom we actually trust. And then I attributed to him because he said it. And I said, you know, and you no know, 9900 people, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. Someone looked up who that guy was. And all of a sudden that quote had no validity whatsoever because they didn't like him and didn't like his politics. And, and I use that as an example in the book that I just I'm like, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's like Rob Bell's story about somebody quoting Gandhi and him saying, well, you know, Gandhi's in hell, right? It's like, And you know this because you've been there. (laughs) Yeah, but Morgan, if you follow Morgan on Facebook at all lately, he's been experimenting with his gender expression. He's been putting on some makeup and doing a few things. John does this with his fingernails and paints his nails and finds little ways to be supportive and to be, to to sort of earn that title of ally. You know, we want to be people who are seen as on their side, you know. So the little things we do, I think, right?
2: When you just shared about Morgan and and, uh, what he said, I can't help but also think of a a, a surprisingly similar thing. So, a lot of uh, conservative Americans love saying the Pledge of Allegiance, right? And, uh, you know, a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, you know, and one nation under God. Indivisible, yes. Well, so that Pledge of Allegiance was written by a, a, a pastor. He was a Baptist pastor, and his name was Francis Bellamy, and he was a hardcore socialist. Yeah. Hard, hardcore socialist. And he did not want under God in, in his pledge. He didn't have it there. That was added in, in the, the Red Scare McCarthy era in the 50s. And so if people do their homework regarding that, that same thing with a quote, you know, yeah. well, why are we saying the pledge if you've got such an issue with socialists, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, don't, don't turn the logic back on them. That 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 doesn't work well for you. I actually got I I got in trouble because I, I personally my own my own personal conviction is I won't I won't say the pledge. I, I don't I don't owe my allegiance to anyone but Christ. Sure. And and I've said that, but it's gotten me in trouble. I was a teacher for many years, and in Texas we say the pledge. That was part of our morning curriculum, and I I didn't very often. I teach it, and my students would be like, Isn't it time to do the pledge? They're like, yeah, we got work to do. Let's get busy, we got things to do. And part of it was I just didn't want to. It mm-hmm. seemed weird to me mm-hmm. to stand and have rows of children reciting this this basically this prayer and this oath of allegiance to a nation when ninety nine percent of those kids in that room were Christians. Like, no, I don't so I don't I, I, I won't do it. Um, it's gotten me some weird looks. I had a I heard a story the other day about a guy here. Not in my town, but another town, a couple of towns over who had gone to uh, an event and refused to. He stood for the, he stood for the pledge and for the national anthem, but did not participate and was removed from the event. Whoa. Yeah. By force. Whoa. And I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? I mean, all you people love America, which is supposedly, I thought was supposed to be about freedom. And this guy exercised his freedom. All he did was just not participate. That's all he did. And yeah, yanked him out of his seat, forcibly removed him from the arena. And uh that's the rest. Actually, a big reason I didn't go to the rodeo this year was because I I I would be forced into that position to go. Well, do I stand here and just play along, or do I make a issue of it, or I just do I just not go? I'm like, who needs that kind of bullshit? I'm just not going to go. Wow. So, anyway, it's it's a, it's a strange thing, but yeah, the under God thing was weird. And, and you know, we talk about. This was all going down. Our little town in, in, in my part of Texas, uh, just went through that, went through and named, renamed a couple schools. Well, Texas really, I, I know technically we were part of the Confederacy, but Texas is not what you think of when you think of a Southern Confederate state. You think of Georgia and Mississippi and, you know, um, Robert E. Lee spent almost no time here. Um, and we had a school named Robert E. Lee and we changed it. And it was, man, I'm telling you what, man, people lost their ever loving minds. Because we dared to take that dude's name off of a school. The name of a, a traitorous loser. We took it off of a, of a building. And that's the kind of stuff that makes me nervous. John's laughing. What? He is a, he lost. Why do we put, we don't put losers on. In- I agree. I agree. <laughs> the winners get statues with them on
1: horses, not the losers. We are, we are like, oh, literally, man, one of the only countries who lets lo- the losers have statues. They should have proclaiming their greatness. <laughs> no other country uh, that I can think of has that. I mean, these are the guys waving the white flag saying we give up. And then we put up statues. We no, made, name- you know, we did that a hundred years later, right?
0: Or however, yeah. I mean, most of those statues were put up during, um, uh, during Jim Crow, uh, just as a reminder. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so black folks didn't get too, you know, excited about their freedom. So, that's right. the one yeah. thing. And, you know, again, you argue with these folks and you, you know, facts always piss them off, but those things weren't built five years after, you know, they weren't built during Reconstruction. They weren't built during, nobody would have put up with that shit. But anyway, we're we're far afield from the question, John. We've we've wandered off. We've <laughs> of course <laughs> we've 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 wandered deep into the muck. So uh, let's get it back. Let's let's get it back on task and talk about the book because the book is important and we want to make sure um, we're covering all the bases. So the spiritual practices, discovering fire, right? Yep. Yep. Make so sure I got the, um, I, I could have totally forgotten the name by now because that's within my, <laughs> it's in my wheelhouse to forget. But talk about uh, talk about that a little bit.
2: Well, what I'll do is I'm I'm going to flip to the back where it has the, the catalog of the fires, and I'm nice. just going to okay. this will we'll kind of give people in each of these practices I metaphorically refer to as fires, right? So um, centering prayer, lectio divina, the enneagram, fasting, dream work. Prayer journaling, a personal altar, solitude, yoga, yoga nidra, labyrinth walking, being in nature, earthing, grounding, authentic relating, circling, shadow work, something I call winnowing, ecstatic dance, kirtan singing, somatic portaling. uh, That's the word that I come up with. uh, Reframing, astrology, tarot cards, oracle cards, breath work. That includes things like holotropic breath work. Uh, alcohol, and I kind of gradually help people see uh, how we embrace certain things and maybe we can gradually embrace other things. So alcohol, right. the Lord's Supper, communion, Jesus' first miracle, water into wine. Um, uh, marijuana, some studies show it's, it can be helpful for some people for certain things, absolutely. And then ayahuasca, Lots of studies, Brazil, uh, using it in their prisons to help people break free from addictions. Uh, shamanism, psilocybin, which is a, the uh, plant medicine that I have the most experience with, and I, I share more about that than the others. And then the final chapter is poetry as a spiritual practice, reading and writing poetry. And, and frankly, okay. that's, that's been the most long, like the, the longest part of my life has is, is been the poetry as a spiritual practice. And uh, I, I give some examples of some of my poems in that chapter and I give the dates and you can sort of see possibly a healing journey toward wholeness by reading your way through yeah. those poems, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it, it seems to me like that, like some of those practices might ebb and flow then, right? Like, hey, this is good for a season. I did this for a while. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I see this with, with psilocybin because most of the people we've talked to who've had spiritual breakthroughs with it, at some point they don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's not habit forming. It's not whatever. So in fact, I don't think we talked to anybody so far that's used it for that purpose who continues to use like, like it was an experience. It helped them through a lot of things. I have friends who use it for medicinal reasons and they'll continue to do so because for them, it's literally a life and death issue. Um, it's, the, it's, it's the difference between being suicidal and not our friend Paul, who has, you know, PTSD and has suffered traumatic brain injury and has dealt with all kinds of stuff. This is the thing that helps him not, as he says, to, to not put a gun on his mouth. Um, it's it's made him feel the most normal that he's felt in, you know, 30 years. So, hallelujah. Um,
2: wow. Yeah. Uh,
0: right. And this mm-hmm. is a guy you want on the planet, by the way, because this is a mm-hmm. guy who's literally doing the work of Jesus every day. There you go. But anyway, but so it seems like some of these things might be good for a time. Um, you might go, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to experiment with, I don't know, contemplative photography, for example, which sure. I think is. Talk to me about. I have to ask what is what is contemplative photography.
2: Well, so I live. I'm living in Grand Junction, or but anywhere I go, I've done this. Yeah, um, so I, I, I have a pretty strong tendency to do a a walk or a, 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 a run. These days, it's more of a jog, I guess. But, but usually, <laughs> uh, at least a, a five to six mile walk most most days. And uh, different times of day, I, I try to avoid the heat. So in the mornings and at night, the the, the quality of light is better at, at those times of day, and the freshness of the morning or the the retiring, the the sun glow on things, the afterglow. I, I'm just for me, it's I'm I'm moved. I feel awe. I, I like feel connected to something bigger than me, and and I I have an eye for something that oh that that empty, withering cottonwood tree that's looking kind of haunted or something has captured me. I'm going to find a good angle and try to commune with that tree and what, what, what does this tree want me to know about it? And then I try to capture it. And then I usually write a little haiku poem to go with it, sort of capturing a moment to help me remember it. I do that a lot. And I, I'll post them on Facebook. I, I don't need people to like it or share it or anything. It's just something that I do for me. Most of the ones don't, don't even get posted, but some of them do, and a lot of people like vicariously. So maybe they weren't there to experience the moment, but they see that moment, and then they're also moved a fair bit as well. You know, the mirror neurons, like, oh, you, it felt like I'm there too, and yeah. so uh, yeah, I, I I find there's something something good about it. It's just I like it, yeah.
0: No, I just think you've come up with something new. I have I mean I've heard of contemplative all kinds of stuff, but photography is and I do love photography. I love to take pictures. So the uh I, I like the idea. I think that whole I think that's something that the evangelical church and this is something I've thought about for several years now, but the, the Western evangelical church has lost a lot of its contemplative roots. Yep. We're not comfortable with with quiet. We're not comfortable with those inward practices. We you know, most evangelical churches are all about what's happening and keeping your calendar really busy and you know our services are loud and we've got laser light shows and all kinds of other weird shit um and so coming back to that more inward focused contemplative practice was was pretty
2: interesting right yeah you, what you said is so true I, i've been to so many church services where they go out of their way to avoid any awkward silences look silence is where it's at you know that's god's love language that that's god's primary language let's let's no not awkward let's, let's let's spend more time there let's lean into it let's so for me if there's not some silence i'm like well did we even worship or did we just have a lot of busyness and for other people like they can't handle that quiet and uh so it doesn't have to be a, a quaker service where you're in silence for the whole hour there's there's Maybe, maybe even one minute as a starting point, and then just.
0: Well, it's weird because you know, the, again, and I'm picking on the evangelical church because I am one. Okay, so that's really the reason I, I I feel comfortable critiquing my own tribe. So that's that's really why it's not out of any sense of I'm, everyone else is just as messed up. Don't worry, but we programmed that stuff out of our church services. I've been on staff in church for most of my life, on some level, and we had meetings about this. How do we? Every time you talk about how do we transition from this part to this part to this part was all about avoiding anything that looked awkward, which, by the way, means authentic probably. And we programmed the hell out of our church services so that there was none of that ever. But these same churches were always talking about like we needed to be countercultural. At that point, you're completely leaning into the culture, aren't you? I mean, American culture is all about distraction and noise and... Busyness, and then our church services just mirror that exact same ethos when they when they meet on Sunday. I don't understand it.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I do talk a fair bit about quiet and solitude and nature and being in ourselves and expanding our capacity to be with ourselves. Uh, being in, in some people can't be in their own home without a tv on or a radio or some soundtrack you know can can you move to a, a way of being where you have less of that need can you just hear your breath and notice yourself and and really be curious and and find some some beauty there? even even the parts that hurt there's there's something there if you listen so I, I'm I'm hopeful some people will expand their comfort zone just a little. Yeah, because we yeah. be yeah. some things in here.
1: Yeah. Well, I was I was just talking to a friend who um, he's evangelical, and a friend of his is Russian Orthodox or looking into Russian Orthodox, and invited him to a, and I don't even. I don't even pretend to understand or know what's going on, but at the end of Lent, they apparently have a service that starts at like 10 PM and it's the breaking of Lent. That's Easter, but they have a a specific name for it. I don't know what it is. Um, Pascha, Pascha. Yeah. So he, he was invited to this, this service, which is the breaking of Lent. And the first thing he said to me was, it's really weird because they, they chant or end or sing. Most of what they're saying, and it seems really yep. Catholic, and you know, we. This <laughs> so so a j- majority. No, not that. Well, right, right, right. But we joke about right, like the the Episcopalian Church is like Catholic light, right? And I kind of I'm at the point where um, the Catholic Church is kind of Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox light. That they have separated themselves slightly from the Orthodox Church, so to the point where it even seems weird, it seems too liturgical. It seems like that we don't know how to connect with that and so it's interesting that, as the friends of mine who are from the Evangelical Church talk about this disconnect from the or from what we consider orthodox and that it seems weird or catholic right in in air quotes catholic because anyone who knows the history of the orthodox church knows that they they kind of held on to their beliefs as the protestant church kind of broke away from the the catholic church and all that but for me it's like now i'm like i feel like i want to go to those churches i want to go to those services cuz i feel like maybe they have a connection that i have lost or never connected to right yeah. Yeah. Well, that and the, uh, you should be aware that the Orthodox
0: Easter service, the Pasha is, uh, is really long.
2: <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> really, really, really long. I remember, I don't know if you know who Brad Jersak is, but, uh, he's a good friend of ours and Orthodox guy. And, uh, I went to see him speak in Houston years ago and he chanted some of the, uh, they call the Octo Echoes and, and he's not a singer, but he, it was moving. Remember we talked to Alexander John Shia, who is right. old, old Catholic, which is not Roman Catholic. He was, a, he's part of another Catholic sect and he grew up hearing the Psalms chanted in Aramaic. So that's his heart language. Like he's like, it's weird for him to read the Psalms and not sing them because they were always sung whenever they met in church. They sang the Psalms. Right. But the first time I heard, the first time I actually sat in a church service and read through the Apostles' Creed, I cringed at the word Catholic in the Creed because that's how we were raised. It, it, that was, that was that first little, like, like kicking the door open to my own spiritual bigotry was like, ooh, why? And then thankfully, people, they were like, listen, we're, it's little C Catholic. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's it. There's a little asterisk by it in the prayer book. That says universal. It means universal not, not right. that denomination. <laughs> we're not talking Roman Catholic. We're talking. We're all. But it was so deeply ingrained to us that even the word Catholic made us cringe. And I'm like, oh Jesus! I'm just kind of a yeah. We were robbed of a lot of this stuff, but yeah. But those contemplative practices that that I, there's there's a lot there, man. I, I I think you're onto something, bud.
2: Well, I think we're in an era where. More and more people are dating people who are of a different spirituality or a different denomination, and there's less pressure to stay lutheran or catholic or whatever there's there's yeah. some of that but there's less of it and yeah. i think there's a whole lot of people that maybe are identify as christian plus you know the yeah i'm christian and yeah i do yoga and i find a lot of benefit yeah i'm christian and i go to kirtan singing on sunday nights and i love blessing out with those people as they chant there's a lot of christian plus i think And i think we're going to see more of that and it's not a bad thing
0: I had a guy that was part of my worship team when I was pastoring and a good friend of mine, but he had gotten into Taoism and he's like, dude, these things overlap really well. It's like, you know, Buddhism is, is as much a practice as anything it can be adapted to whatever religious framework you want to put it in. And I'm like, okay, I'm, let's talk about it. Let's see what's up with that, you know? And, uh, so he had found a way to sort of incorporate that with his, you know, with his belief system, which I think is, you know, and as we talk to more and more Native Americans, there's so much overlap. As we talk to Native Americans, about wow, you know, Native American spirituality and Christianity. There's man, there is a there is a ton of places where they intersect.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And and I do talk about that some in the book, including the issues around appropriation and cultural. You know, we have to be sensitive, but you can do it mindfully and, and respectfully. So that's it's there are some tools to help us do it well. I, I'm realizing um, I need to get going to a live event just down the street that there uh, is a choir. You show. need to get
0: going too. So, hey, the, the <laughs> timing of that yeah. is perfect. It,
2: yeah. it's the, the,
0: the, the synergy is just off the charts, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm more excited than you know to have you be part of the choir family yeah. yes. and uh, to be amongst our brethren. Maybe we can uh, do an event or two together down the road. I know we're going to do some, I'm doing some stuff in Nashville in a couple months, but man, just look forward to uh, seeing how this book um, goes out in the world and does some good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, you coming and taking the time and hanging out with us, man.
2: And yeah. I'm looking forward to reading your respective books. So the next conversation will be richer because I'll have read that. So
0: <laughs> I will I tell you what, I will send you a, I will send you a, a galley proof if you want to take a look and give oh, you a little absolutely. heads up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll email that to you, uh, to, to, probably tomorrow sometimes. So you can take a look at it and yeah. see what kind of bonehead you've been talking to. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. All right, man. Thank you, Roger. All right. Take care, brothers. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.